Welcome one and all to Chasing Cutoffs, bringing you the trail running news and views from the back of the pack. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ben Mead, your hobbled host, and I am so excited to bring you this episode. It is February. There is romance in the air. There's also quite a bit of a chill in the air. It is the dead of winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. And despite that fact, there are a lot of races going down and some incredible back-of-the-pack performances being laid down on those icy, muddy, wet trails. So for the latest on these absolutely incredible performances, let's jump into this week's Race Roundup. Well, all the way out in Sweet Home, Alabama, Huntsville to be exact, the Mountain Mist 50K, one of the Southeast's oldest and largest trail runs, went down. A very interesting course, very difficult challenge in that you have to start quite high, run down really far, and then do a significant climb back up and out. And taking on this challenge, Jay Churnlund of Irving, Texas, came and crushed second on the glorious DFL podium. About his race, Jay says, I kept up a good pace the first half of the race going down the mountain and was pretty happy only to hear I was 20 minutes to cut off at Oak Park checkpoint and the grueling uphill was ahead. I thought, I'm going too slow and I will not make the next cutoff. So mentally I was beat. I went to the 20 mile checkpoint expecting to miss cutoff, but I was told I had seven minutes. I made up my mind to go hard and then I picked up my pace for the grueling waterline. I was able to hit the final aid station with three minutes till cutoff. I kept climbing the mountain and hauled with anything I had left the final mile and a half flat track to cross the finish line with only about seven minutes left. I didn't care. I felt accomplished and excited about which ultra trail race I can tackle next. But for now, I can begin my long doctor recommended training break from running to let my overuse injuries heal. Jay, heal quick. We can't wait to see you back out on the trails. Amazing work. Out in Cumberland, Virginia, the Willis River 50K went down. This is a completely free of charge fat ass event that both fits Gerald Brown of Charlottesville, Virginia and his 71 year old dad, Stuart, both went out, ran together. Fitzgerald crushed DFL and his dad was second on the glorious DFL podium. About their race, Fitzgerald said, the race has a lot of leaves and down trees on the trail and it felt more like orienteering at times, trying to find the trail after getting lost, which I hear the race is famous for. A lot of roots and rocks and I heard a lot of people fell, including my dad and me. He had this ankle hip injury that started to flare up as the race wore on and we had to walk a lot more than run and barely made the cutoff to continue on for the last 10 mile out and back. I lost my shoe once on the first out and back and then twice on the second where both shoes got stuck in the mud so I had feet full of muddy water the entire second half. My goal is always just about going the distance, which we both did. You damn right you did. Good job, Fitzgerald. Good job, Stuart. You guys crushed it. 
Well, the historic Sean O'Brien 100K went down in Malibu Creek State Park in Calabasas, California. And Wyatt Strange of Azusa, California went out and crushed second on the glorious DFL podium. About his race, Wyatt said, I am very new to the sport and trail running for that matter, but I have fully embraced being slow. Gives you more time to enjoy the journey and embrace the process. I intend to be in the sport for the long term, and I want to do so by staying injury-free as often as possible. I have a lot of mantras and quotes I use all the time. Availability is the best ability. It applies to your health long-term and short-term. Less injuries means more consistent training and who doesn't want to be active and able into their later years. Health is wealth. (laughs) That is right, Wyatt. Great job and great attitude. I love it. Welcome to the sport. Welcome to the back of the pack. You are welcome here. You know, I have long been dreaming about doing a race out in Moab, and no one does it better out in that area than Mad Moose Events, who just put on the Arches Ultra. And taking on the 50-mile event, Chris Strickland of Nashville, Tennessee, went out there and crushed DFL. About his race, Chris says... The course was epic. My first visit to Utah and the landscape took my breath away. The snow melts made the course extremely muddy and definitely slowed everyone down. I guess the greatest thing about being in last place was I got a few miles in with the race director, Justin Ricks, the Mad Moose. What a great guy. I would definitely recommend this race. Congratulations, Chris. That is awesome. Well, continuing the theme of power couples and just in time for Valentine's Day, I want to say congratulations to Bryce and Becky Ross, who also ran the Arches Ultra. They did the 50K and they ran it together. Bryce finishing DFL and Becky finishing second on the glorious DFL podium. About their race, Bryce says, my wife Becky and I ran it together for her first ultra distance on our 11th wedding anniversary. We went at her pace, but she got derailed by more slick rock than she expected and four plus inches of shoe sucking mud. We actually set a Strava record on 10 miles of the course for quote, most time on feet. (laughs) This was honestly my first time chasing cutoffs and it's quite a ride. It's all fun and games until the aid stations are telling you your next 10 miles of required pace to even finish. It's invigorating, motivating, and scary. The messages we heard at the aid stations were as follows first aid station what cutoffs second ah oh, you're way good third you still have 40 minutes fourth you have to leave now or you will get pulled fifth oh nobody told us anything i guess you're good fun day finished in the dark to zero fanfare and the finish line being taken down <laughs> Well, first of all, Becky, congrats on your first ultra. That is amazing. To both of you, congratulations on your 11th anniversary. You both crushed it. You experienced all the highs and lows of finishing on the DFL podium. And congratulations to all of you out there who are just crushing it and making it happen at the back of the pack. We'll be right back. Have you guys checked out this chat GPT thing? It seems to be like all the rage, this AI 
bot thing that can basically write your term paper or write an article for you or something. And I thought I would check it out and just see how smart is this thing. So I gave it a specific challenge. I asked it to write me a few haikus about the experience of chasing cutoffs and DNFing, etc. So let me just read you a few of these results. I found them pretty interesting. Race not finished. DNF on the bib. A sign. Next time, more training. <laughs> that one made me laugh for sure. Here's another one. Race begins with hope, but finish line remains far. DNF sighs the soul. Hmm. Ouch. Let's get back to the show. My next guest is an incredible athlete, and I cannot wait to share her story with you. She is an iron woman and a multi-generational teacher and educator from Northeast Nevada. Please join me in welcoming Kim Reamer. Kim, welcome to Chasing Cutoffs. Thank you. I'm super excited to be on the podcast. Well, as am I. I have been a fan of yours since you and I connected on Instagram and seeing some of the really cool things that you've done with respect to racing and running. And I know that you've got a whole history of triathlon that I want to get into mm -hmm. and understand how that all went down. But before we get into that, let's jump into the Wayback Machine. Okay. Tell me a little bit about your family and where you grew up. So I originally uh, am from Canada, actually. Oh. So you might hear a little uh, Canadian slash North Dakotan accent. <laughs> you know, I live in Nevada and have for, for 27 years. It's hard to get that accent totally out. Uh, but I was born in Kamloops, British Columbia. And uh, when I was in the fourth grade, moved to Miles City, Montana, hmm. and from there moved to Bismarck, North Dakota, and did high school there, graduated, followed all my friends off to University of North Dakota. I was not prepared for college. Uh, I was more into the social aspect. And yeah. uh, so after the first semester of landing on uh, the probationary list for my poor grades, my dad said, well, I'm not going to throw good money after bad, <laughs> so you're going to come home. Uh, so I had to move home and still really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, uh, let's go nanny for a year. So I took a nanny job in New York and left. Wow. Yeah, just left by myself and was in New York for a year. Wow. Well, let me ask you this. Were your parents native Canadians? Yes, and what inspired them? And I know Kamloops because this is kind of like on the way, if you will, to like yeah. Banff. Mm -hmm. Is that BC or Alberta? BC. So what inspired them to move to the States? Uh, well, my dad is a uh, retired now OBGYN. And mm. so I believe he wanted to open his own practice. And with the difference in how insurance and all of that works, the healthcare, uh, I think he had more opportunity to open his own clinic by coming to the States. I see. That's interesting. So we always hear so much good things about Canadian healthcare, but if yeah. you're a healthcare provider, maybe it's not as good if you're right, sort of right. entrepreneurial, right? Yeah. 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 Right on. What did your mom do? Uh, she stayed home. 
She stayed home. Um, kind of a funny side note, uh, but I'm also adopted. And so when you say Washington, I have kind of a, a connection to Washington. Uh, five years ago, I was able to uh, locate my birth mother Whoa. and met my birth mother five years ago. She lives in Marisville. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in finding her, I also found out that I have uh, two sisters. Um, <laughs> wow. And uh, one sister, Jenna, while she lived in Seattle, met her last summer. And this summer, my younger daughter, Olivia, and I, well, we went up to Canada and saw my, my mom. I have three moms. I have a stepmom, a mom, and my birth mom. Um, <laughs> met my other sister who had come up from California. So I have a kind of a Washington connection. Now. Yeah, you totally yeah. do. So that was kind of a left turn, but. <laughs> no, it's really interesting. Yeah. Did your parents have other adopted kids as well? No. So what happened? was uh, my mom and dad had my older brother, Jim, and then my mom had such a horrible pregnancy with, she has some blood clot issues. Mm. And so her doctor told her, you, you should not go through this again. If you want other children adopt, don't go through another pregnancy. So two years later, they adopted me. And my, my dad loves to tell this story that they got me and a hunting dog in the same weekend. <laughs> And the hunting dog was more expensive than I was. <laughs> you know, this was in 1970. Yeah. And I'm like 50 bucks in a signature and I was there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so cool that you were able to find and reconnect with your birth mom. Yeah. And I mean, 47 years of thought went into it. And, and growing up, I always knew I was adopted, but it was never... Like, oh, I was abandoned and I feel this empty hole in my heart. It was, I just felt grateful. Mm. Like, obviously there was a reason I needed to be put up. I always knew it, it must have been a selfless act for her because I was also born on Mother's Day. Mm. So I just, I was always grateful that I knew that there was a reason. It wasn't because she didn't want me. It's because she she knew she couldn't take care of me the way she wanted to. So there was never any resentment, anything like that. But I also knew that if I was ever going to find her, I knew that I would know. And if I decided to find her, I knew I would know if it was going to be good. Hmm. So I just kind of left it up to the universe to kind of tell me when it, when and if ever. And literally one morning I was 47 and I woke up and I thought, yeah, I think it's time. And I sent off for my birth certificate. I mean, I just dropped it in the mail, forgot about it, didn't tell anybody I did it. And six weeks later, I, I got a packet from the Department of Vital Statistics and I had all the information. Wow. <laughs> um, but I sat on it for a couple of weeks. I didn't tell anybody I'd gotten it because mm -hmm. I thought, if I'm going to do this, I need, I need to do it in small increments and just sit with it for a while and then decide how much further I want to go with it. And so when I first learned my birth mother's name, I, you know, I was, I'm not going to Google anything. I'm not going to Facebook stock. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to sit with it and just know this name for a few weeks. Mm. Um, and I did that. And then I just kind of incrementally took little baby steps and I just knew it was going to be good. And it's been amazing. That's awesome. So yeah. I take it. It was a surprise to her though, when you reached out. Yes, because she in her life, just kind of the same that I did, she knew that if we were ever to meet, it would be on my terms. Mm. She was never going to reach out and disrupt my life. 
And growing up, I, that was one of my thoughts, like, well, I don't want to just disrupt this lady's life. What if, you know, what if nobody knows about me and, you know, my life is great. I don't want to invite a bunch of, you know, bad juju into my life. I don't want to bring anything negative to her. And so she had decided early on that if we were ever to meet, it would be on my terms. Um, And she told me when my 40th birthday passed, she just kind of figured, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, so seven years later, uh, it was a total surprise. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's been wonderful. In fact, when we went to Tacoma this summer, uh, we went because I convinced Jenna, my sister and Bryn, the, my other sister that I just met, I convinced them all to do a 5k with me (laughs) (laughs) at the Mount Rainier half marathon. That was the 5k and half marathon. Yeah. So I was going to do the half marathon, but there was an option for the 5K. So we all did the 5K together. That is so cool. What a great story. That's awesome. Well, let's rewind a little bit. So tell me a little bit about growing up in Montana and did you say North Dakota? Yeah, Montana for one year, uh, fourth grade year, and then fifth grade on in Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, It was cold. I mean, that I mean, when I think on my years in North Dakota, humid in the summer, summer lasts maybe a month and a half. And the rest (laughs) of the time it's windy. And it's just it's cold. Gotcha. Uh, My dad always jokes uh, that the 50 below keeps the riffraff out. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to live there. Because I mean, we would see negative 50, negative 60. I mean, oh my gosh, that's wild. Yeah. That is insanity. I mean, you have to plug your cars in. Every car has block heaters and you have to plug them in. You have to let your cars warm up for 20 minutes before you can go anywhere. And I mean, I, we, we get in the winters here in West Wendover, I'm, we might dip down to 15 degrees, 10 Mm. degrees. Mm -hmm. And I hate that now. Like that's too cold. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up there, fifth grade on, you're in, in North Dakota doing your thing. Were you an athlete in school? Absolutely not. Nope. (laughs) So no, I was not. My brothers uh, were very active, uh, played hockey, of course, big hunters, fishermen. So they were very active, you know, doing all of that sort of stuff. In my elementary years, I rode horses. We had horses. Middle school, you know, that's when kids start finding their sports. And I, I went out for junior high track and I think I ran a half a block and I was like, no, this is <laughs> <laughs> And so I just turned around and walked back to the school. I'm like, yeah, this is not for me. And then high school, my best friends were cheerleaders, football players, runners. And uh, like, I think I mentioned this in, in my message, I was an under the bleacher beer drinker. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to the games, my friends would be playing, but I would be under the bleachers drinking a beer and, you know, probably smoking a cigarette. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's wow. what I was doing. <laughs> you were the little rebel, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did not do any of that. So academically, were you strong there and really driven or was it just kind of none of the above? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was a C student. Typical could have been a B student, but I was more interested in the social. 
Yeah. You know, I always got the talks too much, that sort of thing. You know, after graduation, of course, and looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, I'm like, gosh, I could have done so much better. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I know you're an educator now, right? So this this probably comes back in terms of thought process quite often for you. This was really interesting. So then you do this one year in college and you sort of transplant your same mentality, right? Just the social mentality, going to school and and prioritizing that maybe over academics. Did not do sports in college, I assume. Oh, no. No, nothing. So then your dad says it's time to come home. Yeah. uh, And you go do something pretty pretty wild with yeah. this New York thing. So are we talking New York City, New York was, State? I was in Larchmont, which is a, a upstate New York. Okay. So yeah, outside of the city, but could get to the city by train. What was the family like? Um, It was kind of it was kind of odd, to be honest. The, the you know, beautiful home, two little girls. Uh, they were one and three when I started and two and four when I left. The dad was, uh, I believe, a, a big lawyer for American Express. Uh, the mom, Barbara, she stayed home, but was involved in, you know, all sorts of philanthropy. Yeah. You know, involved in all sorts of volunteer stuff. But I always thought it was so weird because she would be home a lot when I was there. And mm. You know, she'd be, she'd want me to, you know, take the kids to the park or take the kids here and there. And I just, I just kept thinking, well, if you're the mom when in your home, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think I was probably more of a status symbol thing for them to have a nanny, a live in nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was home a lot, which I didn't always love because it never felt like I was. I wasn't really ever sure what my role was because, you know, you know how little kids are. If mom's there, they're going to go to mom. And so I would have to try to keep them away from mom. And Mm -hmm. she like I would eat dinner with the girls and then she would take her dinner up to her room to eat. And I, so it was just, it was, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Kind of yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I think I was there more as a status symbol, um, hmm. but I enjoyed my time. I mean, it was, it was good for me. It, I grew up a lot during that year for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe subconsciously even learned a little bit about the kind of parent you might want to be yeah. someday. Yeah, yeah. In terms of that, that vibe going on over there. Yeah. So when you wrap up this year, essentially in New York, what did you do next? Uh, then I decided I was ready to uh, get back to my education and get my life back on track. Um, and I, I think I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Mm. There was a little part of me that wanted to be a vet. I'm a big animal lover. I have four dogs. So there was a part of me that thought, you know, maybe a vet, but I know who I am as a learner and the sciences were just not for me. I, mm. I knew I wouldn't. I just wouldn't be happy doing that, nor would I probably be very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like many teachers, they have a, a teacher that they can point to and go, I watch them teach and I want to be like them. And wow. for me, it was my senior English teacher that I would always come back to and and think, I want to do what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I always knew, I think I wanted to go into teaching. And where did you wind up going back to school? Um, I went back to Moorhead, Minnesota, which is right across the river from Fargo, North Dakota. 
Oh, okay. So not terribly far from home. No, no, about three hours. And along this journey, when did you meet your partner? Like, how does this all come together? So it's kind of funny. My husband's name is Jerome, and he also went to UND. In fact, we were there at the same time. My first failed semester, he actually was going to UND at the same time. Oh, wow. And so when it was time for me to student teach, I did not want to stay in Moorhead. I wanted to get placed back in Bismarck so I could live at home. Well, when Jerome was going to school in UND, he actually worked with one of my good friends at the YMCA in Grand Forks. Fast forward, I'm still doing my thing. He gets a teaching job in Bismarck. I'm in Moorhead getting ready to come home to student teach. My good friend runs into Jerome in Bismarck at the Y. And she says, oh, look out for my friend, Kim. She's going to come student teach at where you're, where you're teaching, you know, keep an eye on her. Uh-huh. You know, and we had never met. Uh-huh. And so shortly after that, I show up as a student teacher, not for him. He teaches math and science. So I met him on the very first day. Yeah. Eventually, you know, we, we were two of the younger teachers there. And so, you know, started hanging out, had a date and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so is he still teaching? Yeah. Wow. So two educators. I'm in my 27th year and he's in his wow. 29th year. Oh my gosh. That is incredible to be yeah. that dedicated. Thank you both for doing that. It's sometimes a little bit thankless work. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's really, really cool. And you guys have had kids now, you know, at what stage does this transition and this big move from, it's a pretty significant move from mm-hmm. North Dakota to Nevada. How does that happen? So after I finished my student teaching, I tried for about a year to get into the Bismarck public school system. And so, you know, I was getting frustrated because, you know, I, I wanted to get my career going, but just wasn't having any luck in Bismarck. Meanwhile, Jerome had been teaching for two years already in Bismarck. Mm-hmm. Well, when I moved home to student teach, a good friend named Marnie moved from Bismarck to West Wendover. So... Marnie, who was teaching at the elementary, you know, said, hey, you know, there's a brand new seven through 12 school being built. You guys should apply. And so we did. And I had actually come out on a casino flight. What is a casino flight? So West Wendover, Nevada, we are a casino town. Okay. We're like a mini, 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 mini Vegas. We've got (laughs) a boulevard and there's six casinos. Uh, so we get a lot of traffic from Salt Lake, a lot of traffic from Idaho, a lot of traffic mm, from uh, Wyoming. And then there was this casino flight program all over the country. For my dad and my stepmom, they could hop on a flight in Bismarck for 150 bucks. And in that 150 bucks, they got the flight and hotel room for like three nights. Oh, wow. Come in and out all the time. It was great. (laughs) So I had come out on a casino flight to actually see the school. So I actually got a tour of the school as it was being built. Mm -hmm. And later, Jerome and I both interviewed, both got the jobs. Jerome moved out to West Wendover without ever having seen it. And, you know, earlier you mentioned North Dakota being very sparsely populated. Yeah. We are literally 120 miles 
from anything. Yeah. Between West Wendover, Nevada and Wendover, Utah, our population is about 5,000. You know, we have a grocery store. We've got a post office. We still, we have to go to the post office for our mail. We've, we've got a little clinic, but for any shopping of any kind, Target, well, I mean, we have to either go 120 miles to Elko or 120 miles to Salt Lake. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) But it's interesting to me that you were prepared to start your career where you grew up. You didn't have this like strong drive to get out of Dodge? Nope. Interesting. Nope. We, if had I not got this job, we probably would have stayed in North Dakota. Yeah. And why do you think that that is? Was it a draw toward family and wanting to be close to your parents? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, Jerome's parents, I mean, he's also from North Dakota, small town named Botno, North Dakota, uh, which is very close to the Canadian border. His parents are up there and he's an only child. Oh. My dad and stepmom were there. Um, you know, my mom was in Canada, which wasn't, you know, too far. And I think it was just kind of like, well, this is where I live. Yeah. So this is where yeah. we stay. And how did all the family take it when you made this announcement? Like, hey, we're moving. Um, you know, I, they were accepting, they, you know, they were, they, they were bummed out. I think, um, I think my dad for the first 10 years of us living out here would make a few comments like, so when you leave it, <laughs> you know, when, when are you getting out of there? <laughs> and, you know, here it is 27 years later. Yeah. And we're still- yeah that's crazy. Yeah. So you get this job, West Wendover high, right? The Wolverines yeah, and you yep. are, an English teacher and having been inspired by your senior year English teacher. And you've been doing that for all these years. Never in your life were you an athlete at any stage. So where and why does this happen for you? So, I mean, when I think back on it, I, you know, I knew, I knew we would be in the way back machine. So I was thinking, okay, how, how did this start? (laughs) And I, I think it was, you know, just needing to get some exercise, just wanting to get some exercise. When we moved here, I was 24. You know, like I've heard, you know, a few, you know, quite a few of your female guests say, you know, they don't look like a runner. Sure. You know, I'm five foot one, bounce around, you know, 140, 145, you know, so I'm sturdy. But I, you know, I, I needed to get, I needed to start moving. You know, I realized that, you know, getting into my adult years, like, you know, you can't just not do anything. Mm. You need to start moving. Well, because we're in the desert, I've got hundreds of miles of trail and I didn't want to run through town because a, I didn't want students to see me running. And I, I just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not very people mm-hmm. So I wanted to get away from people. So I just started running on, you know, dirt trails or any, you know, game trails. If I went far enough out, I would run and I would run one mile. And then I would think, well, geez, if I ran one mile, maybe I can do two. <laughs> and then I'm and then I thought, well, maybe I can do three. Yeah. And I just slowly built that up. Um, and then when I hit five miles, that's when I thought, well, maybe I could do a half marathon. Mm. And so from that point, looking back, it's always, huh, well, what can I do now? Yeah. And it's 
this constant, like moving the bar a little bit further uh, and seeing what I can do. And when was your first organized race? Oh, it was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I tell my cross country kids the story. So my first organized race was Antelope Island half marathon uh, in Clearfield, Utah. Mm -hmm. And so I signed up for it. Of course, this was 1996. I think 97. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't even know how I found out about it, but I signed up for it and had to write this before kids and everything. And so I knew nothing, but I trained for it. You know, I, I put in the runs. I, you know, I was ready for it. And so we get to the race start and I like to be places early. So I was there early and I thought, well, I'm here early. I might as well just line up right in front. Cause I got here first. <laughs> <laughs> so you see where this is going already. Yeah. So I told the line and I thought, you know, I was the first one here. I'm going to be right in front. And so, you know, as people started showing up, of course, all these, you know, long, tall road runners are showing up and I'm (laughs) standing in the front with, you know, these actual runners and, but still didn't really, you know, I was oblivious. And uh, so the gun goes off and, you know, I'm running with the group and I'm thinking, I'm running really fast. (laughs) This is really hard. And uh, so for about five miles, I just gassed it. Oh, that's a long way to go all out. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, five miles in, I realized I am not with my people. (laughs) I am with the wrong group. And so, of course, I had to slow way, way down and, you know, kind of settle into the pace that I knew I could sustain and, you know, ended up finishing, you know, mid mid pack, mid to back pack. Um, But that was such an important lesson for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've never made that mistake again. (laughs) So I understand that you have had some history with triathlon. How did that Uh come about? So after I got in into running and, you know, started doing, you know, half marathons and that I had organized a group called the Hill Hussies. <laughs> and every, every Wednesday we would go out after school, they were other teachers and we would run hill repeats together. And so during one of these Hill Hussy sessions, one of the Hill Hussies, it was getting close to summer break. And she mentioned she was going to do a triathlon. I do, I'm like a triathlon. She goes, yeah, you know, you, you swim and then you bike and then you run. And I remember looking at her thinking, well, if, if she can do one of those, I'm pretty sure I can do one of those. And I'm one of these people, as soon as I get interested in something, I just delve in. Yeah. And I want to learn everything there is. So then I'm on, you know, all the, you know, triathlon websites, buying triathlon stuff, books, learning everything that I could. I signed up for a sprint in August, 12 years ago, loved it. And then thought, well, if I can do a sprint, maybe I could do an Olympic, you know, which is double. So then I trained for that and did that. And then I thought, well, if I can do an Olympic, maybe I could do a half Ironman. (laughs) I mean, I just jumped boom, boom, boom into, you know, the half Ironmans. But what was interesting about my training is we do have a pool in West Wendover, but it's an outdoor pool that's only open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Well, 25 miles south of town, there is, uh, it's called Blue Lake. It's a natural fed spring in the middle of the desert. 
People come out to get certified for scuba diving because it's very, very deep. So these scuba diving groups come out on the weekends and camp out there. There's nothing out there, not even a porta potty, like it just nothing. There's a couple of docks and that's it. But the water stays around like 69, 70 degrees all year round. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. The first half Ironman I did was Boise, which I think it was in May. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to swim, you know, January, February, March, April, May. So I'm going to have to go out to Blue Lake. I mean, if it was 10 degrees outside, I I would drive out, get, you know, I'd wear my wetsuit um, halfway up, you know, with a big jacket. I would freeze for, you know, a few minutes when I was getting my wetsuit on and, you know, my cap and the goggles. But then as soon as you get into the water, it was like getting into, you know, bath water. That's crazy. So this is like thermally heated from the ground. Yeah. Mm. In fact, sometimes I would get out there and it would be so cool because the difference in the air temperature and the water temperature, steam Uh would just be rising up. So I'd be swimming and I would swim the perimeter. So I would just get in there and I would swim around and around and around. So did you at some stage eventually complete a full Ironman? Yeah, I did. I think I did three half Ironmans. I did Boise and then I did St. George half Ironman twice. And then I was like, well, if I can do a half Ironman, I guess I better see if I can do a full one. (laughs) And so in 2015, I did the Coeur d'Alene Ironman, which if you look in the history books, it was one of the hottest Ironman on record. They were almost going to cancel it because it was so hot, but they didn't. I remember there were some firemen out on the bike course measuring the the heat coming up off the pavement. It was like 130 degrees. And I remember my feet on my bike because, you know, of course you're clipped in and it's metal. And I remember my feet just burning because they were just so hot from being on the, that pavement. And the other thing I remember from that, they ran out of ice and water, all the ice melted and people were taking so much water that they ran out and all they had left at the aid stations on the bike and on the run was hot orange Gatorade that had baking in the sun all day. I still, to this day, cannot look at a bottle of orange Gatorade. (laughs) That is so gross, but you did it. You finished this thing. I did. I finished. So the cutoff was 17 hours and I actually went back and looked at my time. 164959. So oh my gosh. <laughs> 10 minutes to spare. You were chasing cutoffs even in the Iron Man. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing my family and just crying, going, Am I gonna make it? Am I do I have time? Am I gonna do it? And I knew I needed to do it because I know myself. And if I would have missed the cutoff, I would have had to do another one. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. So 2015, you yeah. crush. The Iron Man, you complete uh-huh. it. Did you hang up your hat then for triathlons? Um, I probably did another half Iron Man after that and then a few Olympics, but yeah. I haven't done triathlon now for two or three years. Okay. But somewhere along the way, you discover organized trail running, racing, ultra marathons. Yeah. Because, like you said, with where you live, There is this sort of area where there are the stores and the post office, et cetera, that I assume is paved. But outside of that, most everything else is dirt roads Mm -hmm. and 
yep. game trails and, yep. and like full on trails. So you didn't make this big leap to like, wait, what? People run on trails? You were running on trails from the beginning. But when did you realize that there was a whole organized sport around trail running? You know, that that is it. That's just such a funny question, because my whole running career, I have run trails. But up until I realized there was trail running, all my races were paved. Right. I mean, yeah, I, it, it was this huge, like, wait, what? <laughs> there are trail races? I'm a trail runner? That's all I know is trail running. Well, I just didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. And so probably seven, seven or eight years ago, I think is when I, like on the internet, started seeing, you know, trail running and trail racing. I probably started seeing it in Runner's World magazine. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me like, holy crap, I've been a trail runner this my entire career. And I had no idea that's what I was doing. <laughs> that is funny. That's all I run on, 100% yeah, is trail. Yeah. So you didn't have anyone at the school or that you knew in town that was already doing it similar to like the triathlon. No, no one that was inspiring you. You were just getting inspired by having discovered it, doing yes. your deep dives online. Yes. And what was your first trail race that you decided to enter? I think it must have been the Bryce Canyon 50K. Yeah, June 2018. It's not a great one to probably start with. <laughs> it was hard. Well, you know, at this stage, you've already done an Ironman just three years earlier, right? You're still in shape. You're continuing to do halves yeah. at that point to jump into a 50K is probably not mm-hmm. too far out of the realm of what you are probably capable of doing. No. So no. you do your first ultra, Bryce Canyon Ultras. And how mm-hmm. did this go for you all the way back then in June of 2018? Uh, it, I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, it was everything I expected it to be for sure. You know, because I looked at the elevation and, and all of that. So I knew what I was getting into. Where I live, I'm already running at about, I think I think we're at about 4,500 feet. Mm-hmm. And I can easily get to areas that are above 6,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that elevation wasn't going to be a problem for me. You know, the the climbing aspect that was that was probably the hardest part for me was all of this steeper climbing. Right, because you hadn't yeah. intentionally been training for that prior. Right, right, right. right. What yeah. did you find in terms of the difference of start line vibes between Ironman and ultra running fifty k? Oh, the uh, polar opposites for sure. The trail community, there's just cool characters. I mean, just cool characters at trail races. Nobody's taking themselves too seriously. Uh, a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, a lot. I mean, it's just kind of a chill vibe yeah. as opposed to like thinking back to the Ironman, it's just stress and like you can just cut the tension with, you know, it's such a different vibe for sure. Yeah. And was that welcome for you? Are you someone that's just like, I was just so focused on shaving that 10 milliseconds off in my triathlon, (laughs) you know, like some of these people are, that I had to go spend an extra $6,000 on a new Italian bike or something or... (laughs) I mean, where were you in that? Was that a welcome change? 
It was definitely a welcome change. Definitely. And I, I think one of the things that keeps me loving trail running is what I hear over and over on different podcasts. Nobody asks about your time. Nobody cares what your time mm-hmm. is. You know, like, you know, how did it go for you? You know, did you feel good? How was it? Nobody, nobody says, well, what, what did you finish it? In? Yeah. The only question I get from people that don't understand really running or racing at all is, did you win? Yeah. Yeah. My students all the time. Yeah, and if you say no, they're like, well, why did you run? <laughs> uh, yeah. Although there, I do have a funny story from the capstone 50 K that I did down in St. George in 2019, because I am a, a back of the packer. Whenever I do come into like an aid station or if it's like a loop, you know, I always jokingly say, you know, oh, did I win? Am I in first place? And it's like, oh, you know, no, you're not. And so it's just kind of my standard joke. Yeah. And so I signed up for this Capstone 50K and it it was a looped course. I want to say it was maybe a four mile loop and it, it was brutal. Oh, it was just a lot wow. of rocks. A lot, it was it was really hard. And I'm just out there doing my thing, just running at my pace, loop after loop after loop. Um, finally finish. And pretty soon I'm, I'm the only one out there that I see running. And so I finally get to the finish by now it's midnight. I think it was a late start. And so I finally come in and the, you know, poor race directors just kind of hanging out by himself. (laughs) And so I come across and I'm like, did I win? (laughs) Actually you did. What? Every other female dropped out. I was the only woman who kept going. That's amazing. (laughs) So not only did you win for the women, but Uh you were also second from the back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. That is incredible. Yeah, so I have this trophy. It's a little bobblehead trophy. First place female 50K. That's amazing. So yeah, I I actually won a 50K. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you bring it up to this sort of end of 2019, because I know that it's been a very different experience for everyone around the globe with respect to the pandemic. And I know that you only got to do one race in 2020 that I can see. So I'm just curious how that all affected your little town and what the impact that had on your running with all the pandemic madness. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny that the effect that it had was, I mean, good for our town in general, but it was bad for me because I have, you know, for 27 years, I've kind of claimed all of these different trails and I know them all like the you know back of my hand. And, you know, there's certain places where I like to go. And so when the pandemic hit and everything was shut down well people could go out on their four wheelers or you know whatever and so all of a sudden i'm driving out to my places and they're people Uh. (laughs) like what is this This i thought i had these trails to myself yeah why are you out here (laughs) and so on one hand it was nice to see people actually getting out into you know the beautiful area that we are But on the other hand, I got frustrated because all of my favorite spots, people were showing up. But then I guess the added benefit then is I started going further and further into the mountains to find my own places. And so, of course, I have found, you know, new favorite places. But yeah, that was a real irritant to me that I would go to run and people would be out there. That's interesting. 
Well, speaking of going further out into the mountains to find new places, like you said, from that first, you know, organized road race that you ran, you learned not to go out too fast. Classic thing. Classic. From your first 50K, you learned, oh, I'm going to need to train on vert. Yeah. If I'm going to be able to do these races effectively. Yeah. But in 2020, you did get a chance on the 7th of March, which is like basically right before they announce everything. Yeah. You did this trail trashed ultra in Henderson. What was that race all about? Yeah, it, that was a tough course too. Trail trash, they're fun. Um, I believe it was in Sloan Canyon. That's the race where I fell three times. Mm. And the third fall, um, I'm like a, a lot of your listeners, we go down on our knee. Um, you mm. know, you left or a right knee. And it's for me, it's always my right knee. And I went down pretty hard and split it open and, and all of this. And, you know, usually my trips and falls are pretty, you know, not, not bad. Like I just kind of bounce up and I'm okay. But this one, I kind of had to sit there for a while and go, wow, that, that was a hard fall. And so the rest of that race, I, I mean, I finished it and all of that, but I, I was not having a good time mm. after that fall. Mm-hmm. It it kind of scared me in a way. Like um, I don't know. So I didn't do I ha- I didn't do another fifty k for a while after that. Yeah. Why did it scare you? It scared you after the fact. Like, am I seriously injured? Um, I think it was. Maybe it was more like I'm just not cut out for this, mm. or maybe I'm getting too old to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm too clumsy to do this. I can't, why can't I pick my feet up properly? I think it was more self-doubt. Yeah. Like I'd be out here doing this anymore. Yeah. You had a bad day. Yeah. You finished third on the glorious DFL podium that day. I'm assuming you weren't in a great mood. You didn't yeah. probably ask, am I, did I win? Yeah. So you took some time. Mm-hmm. before your next adventure and you went back to Bryce Canyons yeah. and ran that thing again. I'm just curious how that went for you compared to the first time. Did you feel like some vindication or did you feel fully recovered mentally and emotionally from getting trail trashed? I did. I was slower the second Bryce Canyon. And it's funny because I felt like I trained better for it, but mm-hmm. I was slower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I don't know. I mean, I'm 52 now. So I just I don't know if I physically just cannot run any faster anymore (laughs) that I was ever fast. But yeah, I was a little bit slower the second time, which kind of bummed me out because I, I felt like I had trained better. But I was slower. (laughs) Solid back of the pack finish. Yep, solid. But no falls. No falls. That's awesome. Well, I'm just curious about a couple things. You know, along this journey, you had two kids, which is huge. What impact did that have on you in terms of your determination to keep going? Like at any stage after having kids, did you think I'm not going to do this? Or were you always really driven to keep going? So having kids, I mean, it, it, I didn't stop at all. Mm. But what I did become very cognizant of, I didn't want my training to ever get in the way of, of my mom duties. Mm-hmm. And I'm a morning person anyway. And so as they got older and I started doing longer distances, 
and would need to train during the week. I wasn't going to do it after school because that was my time to be with my kids. Mm -hmm. So I just started getting up earlier. So I would do almost all of my training while they were still sleeping. Gotcha. And I give that advice to a lot of young moms that I see on different, you know, trail running groups, like how do you manage this? Not that, that I didn't think my training or anything was any less important, but I just didn't want it to impact my family time. Mm-hmm. And so I just started getting up earlier, even if it meant I had to get on my bike trainer at 3.30 in the morning before oh, school. Wow. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good, actually, just yeah. to talk that through, because there's probably a lot of people out there. I know I've been in that spot before where you're just trying to figure out, like, something has to give here. Yeah. There is no perfect balance. It's more about no. like, what am I going to give up or what's going to be sacrificed in order for me to get this done? Right. You sacrificed sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like in doing so, you found a way to make it work. Yeah, I, I really did. And now that my youngest is off to college, you know, and, and, and to all the young parents out there, I, I, I know you hear over and over again how fast it goes. And it really does. You know, it's just in a blink. It's just high school is over. And so I have the rest of my life now to sign up for whatever I want on whatever weekend I want. Yeah. But I'll never get those moments back of watching a home run or watching, you know, the basketball or the volleyball. You know, I'll just never get that time back. Well, congrats on sending two off to college. That's really exciting. Outside of teaching and full-time job and training and sending kids off to college, do you have any other passions that you're just really into? Um, yeah, I'm really bad at it. Um, and, and I don't know if, you know, people from various parts of the country know about shed hunting, antler shed hunting. Okay. So we have a population of deer and elk, you know, that migrate through our mountains and uh, in the county where I live from May 1st through December 31st, it is legal to go out but on foot and shed hunt, um, which means you just go out and you bushwhack and you climb mountains and you look for fallen antler sheds on the ground and you can legally pick them up and take them if it's in season. So my younger daughter, Olivia, and I spend hours and hours out in the mountain shed hunting. I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am so bad at it. I am the worst shed hunter. I have found one, one tiny little antler. Olivia has a stack of like 70 antlers, including a huge elk antler that's almost as tall as me. Oh my God. And my problem is I get very distracted by the flowers. <laughs> and so I'll be, you know, hiking and scanning and I'll be like, oh, something yellow. And so I'll go, you know, I'm probably walking over antlers to take pictures of the flowers. <laughs> So are you aiming toward a certain time frame for retirement? Well, I mean, four more years will be 30 years. So, you know, we could, you know, we probably will retire after the the four years is up. Olivia, our youngest, will be done with college by then. And I think I'll be ready to be done. I'm not ready now. You know, you can always do an early, early retirement or get bought out, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not done yet, but in another four years, I might be done. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for what you do. I think that's really special to have that tenure that you have and all those, those families that you've been serving for so long is just really, really cool. It, it, It really has been a special career here. 
All that being said, let's jump into our final segment. This is the Chasing Cutoffs lightning round, fast twitch, slow twitch. I'll just ask you several questions and I'll look for some top of the dome answers. Number one, would you rather come in first in a 50K, which I know you've already done. <laughs> you relive that experience. Or DFL in a 50 miler. DFL a 50 miler. Yes. Because I understand that that is your next goal. I'm so scared. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Have you officially signed up for anything? Yes. The Antelope Canyon 50 miler in oh, Pager. That's very, very cool. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Yep. Sweet <laughs> or salty? Sweet. Anything in particular? Anything chewy. Oh, okay. Saltwater taffy, Swedish fish, licorice, anything chewy. Gotcha. What is your trailhead access vehicle? What are you driving? A Jeep Trailhawk. Okay, right on. Yeah, it, and it, boy, I tell you what, it has gotten me so many places. Yes, you have to have a badass 4x4 if you live out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and get snow and everything else. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Are you a naturally competitive person? No, mm. not at all. Both your girls are, I take it. Yep. Is their dad? Yeah, Jerome is, is very, he was an athlete in high school, football, hockey, all of that. So yeah, they get all of their athletic skill from him. I, I don't know <laughs> how I produce Koros, Garmin, Sunto, or other? Well, I was a Garmin girl forever and made the switch to Koros. Ah, and what drove that decision? The size, I think. Uh, the Koros just has a, a much smaller face. And um, yeah, I thought I would just give it a try. And I'm not too much of a techie nerd as long as, as long as I can see how far I went, what my pace was and my elevation. I really don't care about the rest of it. Are you able to do trail math in your head while you're running no i i try and then i get frustrated and, and i just have to stop thinking about it yeah me neither <laughs> what is your worst injury ever you know i've been very very lucky is i've not really had an injury that's kept me out for long i did have to drop out of gosh this is probably back in 2005 maybe it was the rock and roll marathon in san diego and i had an overuse injury where i had a bursitis a hip bursitis mm. and i just thought i could power through it and by about the halfway point i i mean i could barely walk on it so i, I had to drop out of that race i think that's the only race i ever quit mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, besides a few minor little, you know, overused things, I've not been injured. Mm. Well, knock on wood. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was your toughest finish ever? Probably the, the Ironman. In that blazing hot heat. Yeah. And it was so hot that the people that were lining the course, the run course went through neighborhoods. So people had hoses and they were hosing us down. Well, my feet got so wet and my shoes got so wet that the inserts um, kept bunching up under my toes uh. and got these massive blisters under my toes. So I had to take the inserts out and it was just rough. It was just rough all the way. Oh my gosh. 
Well, when things are getting really tough and rough out there, do you have any kind of mantra or self-talk that you tend to say to yourself? Yeah, slow is steady, steady is fast. Oh, I love that. Slow yeah. is steady, steady is fast. That yeah. is awesome. That'll keep you on pace, right? That'll yeah. keep you from going out too fast. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll also keep you from maybe uh, walking a little bit too slow. For sure. And yeah. I love that. Well, I know that, you know, you've had this long career, you've got a family, you've got priorities, you've got a lot of things that you're working on. But in terms of racing or destinations, you haven't veered too far off the beaten path from where you live. Do you have any dream destinations or races that you really want to do? Uh, the Javelina 100. Yes. That has my interest and it has for several years. Problem is it's in October right. and... I'm our high school cross country coach. So that is in my season. But, you know, with retirement around the corner, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, in four more years, I'll be 56. 56 year olds can run a hundred miler. Yes. So that's in my sights. It's in my brain. And if I know me, if it's in my brain, it will happen. Yes. Well, you will be there. I know you will one day tell the line and have a moment. What is your craziest animal encounter? Oh, I was waiting for this question. I got, I have an answer. Last year, I was out on my trails in the Goshute Mountains, about 25 miles south of where I live. And I had all, all four of my dogs, uh, my best friend and I, so we were out on the trails and we got came up through some rocks and kind of got up to this little summit and onto a flat area. My foot almost landed square on a rattlesnake, mm. which not a big deal because I run into rattlesnakes all the time. So that's not the scariest thing. <laughs> so I almost stepped directly on a rattlesnake and usually they will rattle so you can, you know that they're gonna be there. But this one, I, we caught it by surprise. So, you know, we screamed, you know, got the dogs out of there. My friend is terrified of snakes. So she said, I'm not going any further. Let's turn around. So I'm like, fine, you know, let's turn around. So we, you know, turn around, leave the snake, come back down through the rocks. And my dogs run off leash 100% of the time because I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so they're always chasing lizards and horny toads and, and, and that. So anyways, we're coming down through these rocks. And all of a sudden, I just hear this awful screeching and yelping and I I you know run to into the brush and a mountain lion has one of my dogs Gus in its mouth so I just start screaming and my friend takes off down the trail so I'm screaming my two bigger dogs attack the mountain lion the mountain lion drops Gus Gus goes screaming down the trail. The other two bigger dogs and my little dachshund, I have a teeny tiny little dachshund. The three of them chase this mountain lion up into the rocks and get it cornered up on this ledge. Um, meanwhile, Gus, you know, took off the other way. <laughs> and so once I could see that the mountain lion was cornered, my dogs were fine. They weren't going to be in any danger. I was actually able to get some pictures of it, you know, but I mean, my hands are shaking as I'm taking these pictures. But so I get a few pictures, call the dogs down, find Gus, 
he had some bite marks in his head, uh, in his head and through his cheek and on his shoulder, but he, he, he seemed fine. You know, he seemed fine. It wasn't like he had these big gaping wounds or anything. And, you know, he, he was freaked out, but he was fine. So, you know, we're like, this is the worst hike ever. Let, we're, let's go home. <laughs> so, you know, we head home. Well, by the time the next morning came around, Gus's bite marks had become infected. Oh and so his whole face like had just, just had gotten so swollen. Uh, so I ended up having to take him into the emergency um, vet in Salt Lake City. Uh, and he's fine. He was fine. They gave him some antibiotics. Kim, he was fine. you win the prize. You win the prize. Where's the prize? Where's the bell? Ring the bell, Daisy. You win the prize for the craziest story ever. Oh, my God. Gosh, I was sitting here in stunned silence. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm telling you, when I say that image of my little Gus hanging midair in the mouth of a mountain lion, I will never get rid of that image. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's just like looking at me like, um, help. That is crazy. <laughs> and it goes to his little feet. And, oh, but but the, my other two dogs just jump right in and attack the mountain lion and you know drop gus and they chased him off it was so scary would you rather crew pace or volunteer at an aid station probably volunteer i think when i think back on a lot of my races it's the volunteers that kind of have kept me going mm -hmm. i think if i was a pacer i'd always be worried i wouldn't be able to keep up with who i was pacing and i wouldn't yeah. do a very good job um, and I know that a lot of volunteers, you know, have said the right things to me at the right time to get me. Mm, I bet you could be really good at that, given yeah. a little bit of motivation. Yeah. Well, what I know you mentioned having some some falls during your races. So what is easier for you to manage on race day? Would it be a fall or GI distress? Luckily, knock on wood, I've got a stomach of steel. I just mm. really never dealt with any stomach distress. So... I'm yeah. And even having fallen three times, you still got up and finished that race. I did. I did. That was a hard one to finish. Yeah. Awesome. Well, last question. You have been doing races for years on the road and doing Ironman. And so having been super familiar with the Ironman group and now seeing them sort of partner with UTMB, and there's a lot of activity going on, a lot of explosive growth. The Spartan group is now involved with ultra running. We have a lot of focus on the elite runners and the front of the pack and you know sponsorships, et cetera. And I'm just curious your take. What do you think the impact is gonna be on the back of the pack? You know, I I agree with a lot of us back of the Packers who are afraid that it, it's going to be less inclusive for us, mm. that that people that are slower won't want to sign up or get involved in any of those because they think it's only for, you know, real runners. Because that's all they're seeing, right? Right, right. That's all that they're seeing. So they'll think, well, that's not a race that I should do or that I should show up for. So I would hate to see that happen. You know, I, I guess when I sign up for races, I know... I know who I am as a runner and I know now where I line up and I line up <laughs> towards the back. Um, and so I would, I would hate to ever feel like I wasn't welcome mm. because I'm a slower runner. Mm -hmm. Word to the wise race directors, keep yeah. us in your plans, please. And like some of your past guests have said too, I've had the experience in a, 
it was a trail, an Xterra triathlon where I was dead last and they had packed everything up by the time I finished. And I mean, it was just, it was an awful feeling. Yeah, that's yeah it was, it, it was an awful feeling to finally get done and everything was gone. <laughs> yep. Hear us. Yeah. We are here. The yes. back of the pack. We're not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. Well, Kim, this has been incredibly fun. And I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk. If folks out there want to continue to follow your journey, find out how your training is going for this first 50 miler and find out how it ultimately goes, how can they find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook um, under my name, Kim Scarlett Reamer. Um, and Instagram, same thing, Kim Scarlett Reamer. All right. Very cool. Kim is a great follow on the Instagram. I can attest. And I just really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, I love the show and I, I feel like every episode I listen to, I learn something and I can relate so well. It's like, finally, these, these are my people. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kim. It was great hearing your super cool story. Thank you, listener, so much for listening. And if you are so inclined, I want to encourage you to jump onto Strava and join the Chasing Cutoff Strava Club. Why, you ask? Well, first of all, I'm super proud to say that we just hit a whole 100 members, which is really cool. But it's a great place to look at the leaderboard and to get into the comments and the kudos for your fellow back of the packers. See what they're doing in their training. See what they're doing with their racing and just encourage each other and just give each other those kudos and say, well done and connect. Speaking of connecting, you can find us at Chasing Cutoffs on the Instagram or Chasing Cutoffs podcast on Facebook if you want to reach out and say hey or let me know if you want to tell your story on the show. Speaking of that Strava Club, a few of you (laughs) who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, who are so inclined to follow me on Strava have noted of late that I uh, may not be as hobbled as I once was, but I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to change my intro. But yes, I am slowly getting back into running and starting to dream about doing some races myself. So we'll see what happens. That being said, this show is all about you. So come join that Strava Club. Join us on Instagram. Join the conversation. And until next time, wherever you are in your back of the pack, cut off chasing journey from myself, producer Daisy and all of us at Chasing Cutoffs, keep crushing the miles and let's flip the script on slow. Slow.